Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is another DEI Thursday, but it is very special in several ways. Number one, number one, we have Mr. John Graham with us today. And I love John. Let me tell you, first of all, he, cut, hey he, calls, me, he calls me Sister Hayward. Sister so. Hayward, yes. <laughs> but this is also the kickoff to... Oops. He, uh, sorry about that. He, this is the kickoff for the virtual summit, Equitable Workplace, Creating the Future of Work. We always talk about future work being technology-based, but to me, the future of work is already here and it's about equity. And we're starting off with John because he has written this fantastic book called Plantation Theory. Now, I'm going to tell y'all a secret that I didn't even tell John yet. He knows I'm from South Carolina. I'm sitting in South Carolina in a subdivision that starts with the word plantation. I want you to imagine that. So, <laughs> welcome to America. So, uh -huh. John, we're going to get into this really good in the next 30 minutes because I want to first have you introduce yourself to everybody that's watching and listening today. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to, to be discussing such an important topic. Um, I currently am the Vice President of Global Employer Brand Diversity and Culture for Shaker Recruitment Marketing, a full-service recruitment marketing agency that helps. Uh, we help our clients build diverse and inclusive employer brands to attract, engage, and retain. Uh, the world's multicultural workforce, but also ensuring that the marketing actually matches reality so that companies aren't selling a false narrative and un unintendedly driving up attrition rates. Uh, the work that I do is steeped in lived experience. So uh, my contribution to moving DEI uh, to 3.0 status is working backwards from the lived experiences of the most marginalized talent in organizations and helping, uh, you know, and consulting as a thought partner to chief diversity officers, chief HR officers, chief talent, uh, and people officers to um, tailor their strategies to address those needs of those most marginal uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that, um, that you can then stand on uh, as an employer and an employer brand. So I'm also the author, uh, as you said, uh, plantation theory, the black professional struggle between freedom and security, uh, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about today, but yes, happy to be with you. Glad you're here. Okay. What you, you, you kind of tell what the book is about with the title That's and, right. and let, let's get into the title of the book, plantation theory, the black professional struggle between freedom and security. Mm -hmm. What? What does that mean? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, plantation theory on its own, right? A jarring headline. People don't necessarily associate their daily corporate jobs or professional jobs with a plantation. But what I've seen, uh, not only throughout my career, but more so glaringly in the last 18 to 19 months is this struggle between freedom and security, meaning uh, Black folks being so, uh, being highly credentialed, uh, super capable, outperforming based on work output, 
having brilliant ideas and the capability to do more than what their job titles uh, showcase, uh, but not being given the opportunity, not being valued, not treated uh, fairly or equitably in their organizations. And so it poses the question, well, why don't you just leave, right? Go build your own, start your own. Well, the notion of freedom is, is super scary, right? We weren't necessarily taught how to be free. And what I weave in and out of the book is the historical dot connections between uh, the why and the what, and then starting to talk about how. But uh, yeah, freedom is a scary thing for those who were never taught to be free. And so we default to security. We, we go to what we know, the, the, the job security, get a good job, stay with it, endure. And I, uh, we, we, we attribute that or, or connect that to like uh, staying in an abusive relationship. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is that struggle, wanting to do more, wanting to be free, but yet competing with the, the necessity and the urgency of security. So as as we talk about the, the corporate struggle for black people, have you found that where we are in DEI, employers are still surprised about the experiences that Black employees are experiencing in their workplaces? Yeah, I'll say in aggregate, no. But when it gets down to their specific organization, um, there are, I see a lot of clients who are like surprised or shocked by some of the things that we uncover through our approach. Um, and, and that's I think that speaks to a bigger a bigger challenge of the power dominant group not being exposed to the lived experiences of marginalized people because they don't have to be right. Yeah. Um, they they live in largely homogenous communities. Their networks are largely homogenous. Their entertainment, their uh, religious experiences, sports, all of these things, right, um, don't lend them, themselves to the experiences <clears throat> of those that don't look like them. And so when you see that uncovered in an organization where they believe uh, is doing well in some of these areas, well, you start to realize they never stop to ask better questions and, and really examine uh, what the lived experience is. Are they also tracking maybe more metrics and numbers to a degree than they are mm. actual incidences mm. or recurring patterns in their organizations? Mm -hmm. Certain metrics, right? So, so depending on where an organization is in their maturity, right, in DEI, uh, you have metrics in place. A lot of times they're representation based, right? Are we increasing diverse talent uh, numbers over time? Um, you know, you're starting to see companies look at uh, tracking the reduction of attrition, right? Are we maintaining or retaining the talent we have? What I'm not seeing is those exit interview data points, those uh, employee relations complaint data points being used actively as a metric um, that's driving strategy. Uh, they know of that, that, that data, uh, they're aware of it. Is it incorporated into their public or transparent or widely socialized strategies? I'm not seeing that. Very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So. Let, let's go back to the actual lived experience of Black black people in corporate America. And, sure. and let's talk about that for a bit. And what are some of the recurring 
incidents or behaviors or things they're encountering that it, mm-hmm. that surprise or surprise employers that it's going is continu- continuous in their organization. Yeah. yeah, great question. I mean, I, I highlight a bunch of these in the book, but I think in general, let me let me start with a, a higher framework here. So if we were to say in the last 18 to 19 months, if you look at most of the companies that have put out commitment statements of change, um, allocated resource, headcount, dollars to organizations, built relationships with HBCUs, all of these activities that they've embarked on, if you were to ask Black folks at those same companies, have they seen a change in their daily lived experience? The answer is still resoundingly no. So what haven't they seen a change in? They still find themselves the only ones in meetings that look like them. Uh, There may have been some incremental change in leadership elevating a few folks in non-PNL responsible roles, right? So supportive or administrative roles. Um, The daily slights, the microaggressive management, the the emails with, uh, you know, uh, microaggressive or macroaggressive tones, um, you know, being excluded from meetings that they should be, not getting the performance review outcomes that, that would be commensurate with their work outputs. So these are the things that are still going on. And if we think about representation, authenticity, and development being uh, the three major things that we track in our lived experience-based approach, well, we're still not meeting the mark on all of these, right? So you're not seeing the representation in leadership levels or or board levels. Uh, You're still not being a, you're still finding that it's hard to be your authentic self without repercussion, right? Code switching, the the reducing of the reduction of uh, threat perception amongst power dominant culture, suppressing ethnicity, changing hairstyle, like all of these things are still a daily reality. And then development opportunities are still scarce, right? Not not having a clear path forward for career development, uh, not being given insider information or valuable information through access to informal networks, right? Where most critical information on success norms, the unspoken or unwritten rules of advancement and leadership culture are translated or transmitted. So these are the things that still aren't being done uh, that we have opportunity to uh, to address. I, I absolutely agree. I, I remember years ago talking to an engineer who was working on a very specialized project, only one in his department, working with a whole other teams, very specialist, young black guy. And the organization was bringing in training in what he was doing on this particular project. Hmm. He did not get invited to training. He even asked to attend. And it was like, oh, well, you don't need to go. But he was the only one in his group, in his function that was actually doing the work. And mm-hmm. he ended up taking the opportunity, repositioning himself, right? With that experience that was so unique with his skill set, and found mm-hmm. another employer. Well, guess what? Now all of a sudden his boss is approaching him to stay He's like, wait, when I asked for this, you told me I didn't need it. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting how you point out, you don't provide me the opportunity, this, the training I need, right? Because sure. now you're no longer a pet. Right now, you're competition. Yeah, you're a threat. You're no longer a pet. You're a threat, and and we see this so often. And 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 one of the things one of the things we do with positive hire specifically Mm -hmm. is train women 
with different skill sets, non-technical skill sets, they have the technical ability. It's like, how do you maneuver in these spaces? And literally right. taking a one hour webinar, like 40, 60 minutes, 75 minutes, and they're able to reposition themselves, write things differently and get mm. a promotion or a new job. But nobody's teaching them this or giving them that training. And sometimes we don't know to ask. Sometimes we are asking and being told no, and they are begging you to stay. And so it's really interesting that you bring that up because the first thing I ever did with this organization was provide training and the train and how I knew to provide this training. There was an older white woman when I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She said, Mm -hmm. this advanced your career. This is what, and I went to an executive training program. I had to fight Mm -hmm. to get the money, right? (laughs) That's a whole other story. But Nobody had told me this. Oh, you need a mentor. That's what they tell you. But nobody tells you about these other things. And so I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And, and just for those of you who don't know, if you're especially in a large organization, they have thousands of dollars available usually to you for training and development. You don't know to ask for it. You're probably even paying out of your pocket for your own career coach or training programs, certificate programs. And they love that. And, and I literally had somebody in my community. She's like, Michelle, I want to get this. And I went and asked my boss for it. I said, who you know in HR? She's like, the person I know left. I said, reach out to that person that left. See who else you talked to in HR. So she found somebody mm-hmm. else and they covered it. They're like, oh, yeah, we have money left in the budget. Her boss is That's telling right. her no. So you have to, it's how do you maneuver in That's that right. organization? So I love that. So, so let's a... go, and, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you brought up several phenomenal points. Number one, we aren't taught the norms of corporate culture and the language required to be in leadership. There's a reason for that, whether it's proximity and access growing up, your education. um, These are things that aren't taught expressly, right? Until you get to these executive leadership courses, which is interesting, where they fashion you to reflect the image of leadership. And what we know is the default image of leadership is cisgendered, able-bodied white men. That's one. Secondly, when we think, and I talk about this in plantation theory, our ability to reflect whiteness is a determinant of access and proximity. And I say that because um, people, right? There's a reason why you don't see many non-white male uh, and even white female in this case and executive leadership roles. And because they don't view you as leadership based on, it's not even on your work outputs, it's your ability to, to speak the language, right? To understand the norms at an intuitive level, to be able to navigate the politics, the positioning, the jockeying, right? All of these things that are required at that, at that level. And so why would they elevate those who are working twice as hard for half the pay into a position as an equal. That's, these are the tougher conversations that we have to have about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are we really addressing these undercurrents of cultural disconnect and these Grand Canyon-esque divides between us in terms of racial realities? And this, this goes down to language, this comes down to cultural norms and nuance that are largely untaught. So, Absolutely agree. And and yeah. I know I, I don't want to tell them what's in the book because y'all got to go read the book. So I use some mm-hmm. of my examples so you can go read the book to, to see what John's talking about. Yes, please do. <laughs> so 
One thing that I want to talk about, and and you, you know, we hang out on on some other platforms and have discussions. And I mm-hmm. I shared a thirty second clip last night on mm-hmm. on on LinkedIn, and I did it on the ground. And I think you were probably surprised, like, where'd she get this from? <laughs> Clips are real. Yes. They are. But mm-hmm. I, I knew that because I knew this talk was coming. Like, oh, this is juicy right here. Okay. Let's talk about the accountability for diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives mm. and goals, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what is this accountability? Who is accountable? Who should be accountable? What mm. is yeah. it? Well, I think we first have to define what accountability means, right? We have a shared assumption of what accountability means. If I were to say, Michelle, uh, I want you to be accountable for this, that comes along, that resonates with you very differently, right, than it would for maybe somebody outside of our racial reality. So accountability can mean fully standing in ownership of the success and the failure, admission of guilt or wrongdoing or right? That's what we perceive as accountable. That's not necessarily what accountability means in other cultures. So let's, let's, let's look at it from a different lens. What if accountability means simply who's responsible for leading or guiding this program? Who is going to measure the success of this program? What are the outcomes that we've all agreed on? Okay, cool. But nowhere in that accountability definition is a consequence mechanism for if it fails. And without, we don't have enough time to get into the underpinnings of what I'm talking about, but culturally and across racial realities, the way that language is transmitted and consumed can mean the difference in outcome. And so we have to be clear and aligned on what we mean by accountability. And when we think accountability, we're like, well, who gets fired if this doesn't work out, right? Who, what is the uh, consequence for a mid-level manager who's not, uh, embracing and advancing uh, the approach to inclusive culture building. Um, what happens if you're bringing uh, diverse slates to hiring managers with diverse panels and they're still not choosing diverse talent, even though they're more qualified? What happens if? Those are the accountability conversations that we have yet to uh, get to. Uh, but there's also the other side to that, and that's incentive, right? So who gets rewarded if these uh, goals are met, these metrics are attained and so forth. Starting to see a little bit of that introduced to tying it to performance review bonuses at executive level leadership, cool. I dare say it provides or creates perverse incentive though because you'll you'll work towards the number, not necessarily to improvement of the lived experience or removing the toxicity that's, that's driving these negative experiences. So yeah, accountability has to first be defined, I would say. I, I love it. I love it. And mm-hmm. and I like that that last part where you're talking about who's incentivized. And it's like, it's interesting. How often do we incentivize kids for doing their homework or cleaning their rooms? Or maybe people just don't. I don't know. I don't go in everybody's house, right? <laughs> I know. We, we, we had consequences for not doing that. I don't know about incentives. That's relatively new. <laughs> I mean, as soon as you get to live here, I'm just, according to my parents, so. That's right. Do you like light, heat, electricity, all of those things? Yeah, that's your incentive. Um, But that's a point, right? So we know human behavior is is altered by uh, carrot or stick, right? Incentive or consequence. This is not new. 
So it's 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 interesting to me that these known human con or human behavior, social psychological behaviors, uh, aren't applied to our to our change uh, change strategies and organizations. It's it's interesting. It, it it really is. I remember hearing the incentive side at a black enterprise. Um, it might have been. It was a tech conference. It was in the Bay. This was probably 2016. I don't remember which which Fortune 500 it was. I was like, you get incentivized for doing what's right. Wait, I thought what's that was just right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was just your salary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just the show up fee. That's that's just what what you charge them yeah. to show up to the job. Yeah. I don't know. And who defines what's right? Right is subjective. It is. It really, really is. It, and and I think there are ways to define what's right and and who who can help define that, as you said, are marginalized employees, marginalized people. And That's if right. they're not defining what is acceptable in mm -hmm. the workplace, but you also can't lean into them to to go through and build out everything. But That's they right. definitely should have a a, a good portion of the state as to what is right and what mm -hmm. that what accountability also looks like as well. Yeah. And I would love to see stakeholders and organizations have a have another say before the executive side as to who is mm -hmm. going to be accountable and at what level. Because mm -hmm. they always think, well the stakeholders need this bed. Let the stakeholders speak, <laughs> right? And and see what they have a say and what they're going to point towards as to mm -hmm. what it, who's to be held accountable and and what those those goals should look like. So, that's but let's, right. so I, I I like yeah you you dish everything down. We need to push stuff back up because yeah yeah. Well, you can't you can't define an outcome for somebody without ever incorporating or including their lived experience in the conversation, right? And that's largely what we've seen happen is the. DEI initiatives are um, initiated at the top of the organization, typically by those most entitled, privileged, and status. Done research and, and, and brought in data to inform hired uh, chief diversity officer, cool. But when we actually talk about what are those daily lived experiences, that never enters the conversation. So what you end up getting is a strategy that is designed to cover all, right? When I ask one of the most critical questions in any client interface around DEI is who are the intended beneficiaries of your work? And you'd be surprised how often that question doesn't get asked because their answer would be everybody. But I'm like, everybody's not marginalized. So if we're creating solutions for everybody, who are we actually creating solutions for? Nobody. And so now we have to ask ourselves, are we committed to solutions or are we committed to activity? Exactly. I, I need to know up front just so I don't have <laughs> expectations that that shouldn't be placed there, right? And and that your employee base doesn't have the wrong expectations either. Absolutely. You know? So yeah. you brought up something really, and you know, I'm I'm the engineer, so I like the the research and the data, but sometimes the data's mm -hmm. wrong. The benchmarking you're utilizing is if you look at tech, all of them doing poorly. So why are you mm -hmm. going to, well, they have 1.2% Black employees. We have 1.5. Well, 
but but the area you live in is 13 percent let's really talk about why mm -hmm. only tech companies are the only ones that can can find it's a it's a pipeline problem let's look have you looked at your exit interviews going back to what you're saying sometimes the data is so flawed and it has so mm -hmm. many biases built in you cannot utilize it you're going to have right. to go out and find new benchmarks to go with so that's exactly right exactly right one of the things i do in the book uh in the last chapter is i i pose a series of questions uh checklist que checklist questions for executives but also questions for recruiters uh, in this effort to encourage better questions. Um, and you'd be surprised on what kind of response I get from those questions in that book, right? Like uh, how many people are like, I never would have thought to ask these questions. And we're talking about, you know, white men, we're talking about Asian, Latinx, we're talking about black folks right who never would have thought to ask some of these questions but to your point the data is only reflect right where they say uh, garbage in garbage out right yep. so if you're not asking the right questions and then your output isn't getting you or eliciting the the results you're looking for well then you have to question your questions <laughs> question the question set right look at your survey instruments what are you what are you actually trying to solve for and are the tools that you're using the right tools to to address or get at that information so, you know, tech has done, we've seen companies do Herculean efforts in very little time when it comes to threats to their business function. Yep. It's not a capability question at all anymore. We're at a willingness stage. What are you willing to do? If you're only interested in the bare minimum to stay in legal compliance, okay. Well, that's what we've seen for the last 57 years. But at this point, candidates see through it. Uh, existing employees see through it. Attrition rates are spiking right now, especially across black talent pools. Uh, and the questions that are being asked at the recruitment stage, they're opting out because they're seeing the signals at first, po first point of contact that this isn't a place where I'm gonna be valued, just based on the cultural competency or cultural intelligence levels of recruiters. So we've, we've got some work to do uh, beyond just the activity commitments and looking at real solutions that actually benefit those you're intending to benefit. John, absolutely, absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who are interested in John's book, so John, one, one yes. question I have, because it's about me, right? This, this book is about me. So yep. I have the book. It's it's autographed. I I, I got mine autographed. Yes, she did. But yes, did. who is this book really for? Like who is because you said mm. there's a list of questions mm -hmm. for, for certain people. Who is this book really yeah. for? You know, it's interesting. My my editor asked me that too. Uh I'm a publisher, and they were like, you know, who's your target audience? And I said I didn't want to write it specifically for one audience, but here's here are the few. Uh, it's for the Black HBCU student, freshman level or senior level, thinking about what major they're going to choose or what career path they're about to embark on. It's to give them the, the crystal ball to lay out the road ahead of them as they're going to experience that nobody is telling them in their coursework. It's to give them the talk that we didn't get before we entered corporate to know what we were going to experience on a daily basis. It's to 
help them to ask or at least evaluate the relationship of a corporate job differently than the premise we've been sold historically, right? Go to school, get your degree, get a good job or 30 years retire and die. You have more access to information and network than anyone in the history of human civilization at this point, so you can make better decisions. Conversely, it's for the pedigreed B-school student who is going to be tapped as the next titan of industry to give them a perspective uh, that they've never had based on proximity environment uh, exposure. It's to help them lead differently, to be an inclusive leader, not just in statement, but also in action. It's to, to ask yourselves better questions to arrive at better solutions that ultimately lead to better business outcomes and for everyone in between. So that's who it was written for. It's also, and lastly, I'll say it's written to tell our story as Black professionals in a way that hadn't been told before and saying all of the things that we wanted to say but were afraid to for fear of risking security. Absolutely. I want for every every Black person who's being asked in the workplace to retell their trauma to direct mm. people, to direct people to John's book. Because I think it's really important that we not have to relive it, but we still be able to show it and share that experience. And if you're like me, like, look, once, twice, after that, I need a fee or I'm just not going to do it. Right? That's right. Um, That's right. And, and, and really, it's, it's these types of publishings and materials that really help us not have to relive things but start to heal um right. and, and find and find places because we go home and we talk about it we get on twitter and we talk about it we might be on clubhouse talking about it right but the ability to heal through what we experience is truly important especially if we're not having to live it and tell it in the same place couldn't have said it better myself so John, any any final final words for those joining us today? Uh, other than thank you again for the space, the platform, and the opportunity to uh, to disconnect with you. Uh, always a pleasure, Michelle, and, and those are positive hire. Uh, anybody listening, uh, certainly visit plantationtheory.com. Uh, get your copy. Uh, I'd be happy to sign it as well if you want to drop me a note on LinkedIn and let me know you did so. Uh, uh, that way. And then also, I mean, what I encourage people all the time after any of these conversations is start asking better questions, right? If we're not seeing the outcomes that are desirable, well, let's look at what questions are being asked and really start to push our leadership uh, into, um, into action that's beneficial for those who are it, it's intended to be. So thank you. You're very welcome, John. Thank you so much for joining me. Everybody, this is why I had John kick off the Equitable Workplace Virtual Summit, because it ain't equitable yet. It's a lot of work to do. These stories are not old. They are present day. Um, and we need that accountability kicked into high gear sooner, like 2019 sooner. Then, then later. So, John, thank you again, everybody. Have a great day, and we will talk to you later. Mm -hmm.